when your work, when what you're doing every day does not fill the appropriate buckets for you as an individual, and I can talk about buckets too. Um, not, we're definitely going to do that. Okay. Then, uh, then you're not going to be happy. You're not going to perform your best. And like, you will literally have physical symptoms. Yep. Your body is going to reject it. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> Hard work, work. Hard work. That's what they say. Hard work, work. Hard work. I earn my pay. Hard work, work. Hard work. It every day. Welcome to another work ethic podcast. And I am really excited about today's episode. I'm here with Danielle uh, Farrell. Did I say that right? Yes. Farrell. Say, say it. Okay. There you go. So Danielle is a uh, new friend of mine. We've uh, connected a couple times. Um, you are out in Denver, correct? Yep. And Colorado. I am. She is a applied behavior scientist um, who, as we we're kind of being introduced. I asked her to tell, tell me a little bit about herself. And I was really intrigued by her description of herself that she gave me. Um, and so I'm just going to echo a couple things that stood out to me from that, because as soon as she emailed me, I wanted to have her on the show before we even verbally connected. And since we've chatted a few times, I'm like, Oh, all the more, I want to have my new friend Danielle on. So uh, she, her background is really in human development and she has been interested in human growth and evolution over time and what humans really need to thrive, uh, paying attention to social sciences, heavy on psychology and really like what drives human behavior, which for those who've been listening along with the show know that this is something that I'm particularly fascinated with and actually what the work ethic podcast is actually all about. She has spent a lot of time um, building departments and teams and working really specializing in higher education, uh, but has over the last year or so uh, made some transitions in her life and has been paying more and more attention to Web3 and uh, DAOs in particular, and just really thinking about what the future is going to look like and how technology is going to play a role in evolution and human development. And I couldn't be more excited to talk about all of those things. Um, but Danielle, let me toss you the ball uh, to tell us a little more about yourself. By the way, I'll also add that she is doing this interview from her tiny house that she, uh, that I would love to be a part of this, uh, whether introduction or throughout the conversation, because I'm intrigued by uh, really everything you've told me about yourself. So why don't I toss you the ball and you introduce yourself more appropriately to everybody. Uh, that was my best stab at uh, what I could do now, but um, Danielle, introduce yourself and then we're just going to roll from there. Thanks, John. Uh, that was great. Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to say I'm, I am nervous. This is my very first podcast. So I'm like that. shaking right now. No shaking. This is easy. So, hello, I am Danielle, and <laughs> I feel like every day I try to catch up with who I am and who I'm becoming and <laughs> trying to figure that out, but I did work at 15 years in higher education um, as a behavioral scientist, just um, building teams, rehabilitating teams, departments, and offices. Um, the last one I did was an organizational culture office for um, a big university here, a state school here. And um, before that, I was just super intrigued by human behavior. I was really intrigued by my own behavior. Like there were some things I did. I was like, what, did, where did that come from? <laughs> and so, um, and like a little bit selfishly, I kind of just wanted to 
like learn how to be a good human like learn how to live a really happy life and be good at contributing to society I guess um and I really enjoyed uh being good at like create creative things um I graduated high school and went to college when I first started as a freshman I thought I wanted to be a marine biologist and then I took my first human development course and it was just it opened a whole new world for me Mm. um and so that's when it really started for me and maybe serendipitously I got I wound up getting offered a job at career services when I went they're seeking help for myself I wound up then also helping my my fellow students like find their path and so that was really the beginning of like wow I can help someone discover parts of themselves and and so that was really meaningful for me to have had that experience um so then I really just focused on human development and psychology uh, well everything that falls under that umbrella uh and And I did, I graduated with my BS in human development, but then I decided to focus on community leadership and sustainability for my master's degree. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, this sounds fun. (laughs) So, So I, from that program, I learned so much about leadership. So like combining the, like the science behind how humans grow over time with the leadership principles, I was like, oh my gosh, this makes perfect sense. Uh, So then I just applied that to the workplace like over and over again. And it kind of snowballed into building a whole department and office. And so here we are. Um, But that was about, so about a year, year and a half-ish ago, I actually quit my job after spending 15 years in higher education, not at the same place, in a variety of institutions. um universities and colleges uh I felt burned out I had not a super great experience with like workload and expectations and those types of things being somewhat unrealistic I think other people in higher education can um really like they really feel what I'm talking about when I mentioned like understaffed and overworked and overloaded but we're so passionate about what we do and who we're helping it's just the people that work there, right? Like we're so passionate about it that we burn ourselves out. And mm-hmm. um, I, I would also say leadership does have a role in burnout as well. So there's that. And then also I felt like I could no longer be myself in that role. Like I couldn't be my authentic self and felt that I was being appreciated for that. And so once that's lost, it's like, what, where do you go from there? So I lost a lot of what was keeping me there. I lost my, I didn't look forward to Mondays anymore. And I was like, this doesn't feel right for me. So I actually had planned to, to quit right, like right when the pandemic hit, but I stayed, I just stayed on to help through that time. So I quit like a year after I had originally planned, which wound up being really great because that year I saved up even more money as a safety net, which really honestly is how I'm able to explore things now the way I'm exploring. So I guess that brings us to now, where when I quit my job, I thought that I really wanted to be a leadership coach and start a leadership coaching business and build an empire. And then, and then I started it and I didn't like it. I really missed being part of a team, leading teams, um, like meaningful initiatives, like working on those together. 
and then the coaching relationship kind of like as part of that and so at first I was just embarrassed because I told everyone that I was gonna do a coaching business Mm -hmm. and then a couple months later I was like scratch that um but now now I'm like at peace with it really like I kind of just embraced it as like I tried something I didn't like it let's try something else Mm -hmm. and so I sat down and I made a list of all the things I've been wanting to do and so top of that list was um tiny house and so I I was actually already in the process of that so it was really just finishing up the design process and the build the building part of that and then um I had I have like books of invention ideas and so I chose one and I moved that to the patent process I started learning the drum so I started taking lessons and just like so many things I've been wanting to do and then I also prioritize connect, reconnecting with old colleagues and friends and family that I lost contact with because when I was working full time I just like had no energy to stay in communication with anyone I it was like lather rinse repeat go to work it, be exhausted sleep as much as you can and do the same thing again and then on the weekends it was just sleep so Mm. so it was really important to me to reconnect with the people that were like really important in my life um and through all of this is how one of my one of my old colleagues and good friends I was meeting up with and catching up with was like tell me about what you're doing and then by the end of me going through all of that he and like all the things I want to change in the world (laughs) he was like you need to look into DAOs. And so when he said that, I was like, what, like, what is that? Cause I'm not really into the whole, like, I'm not into crypto. Like that's not, uh, I don't know. And so he, he explained it to me kind of briefly. And I was like, all right, send me some material. And he sent me, he sent me some stuff and I read through it and it just started to click. Like this is, this is the new technology of like the future of business of how we interact with each other about how of how we interact with each other across distances how we solve world problems how we're able to collaborate across distances to solve world problems like all of that was coming together as i'm reading through this and i just fell down the the entire web3 rabbit hole from there and i would say i'm still not into crypto but i'm really into dao's decentralized autonomous organizations um and like how potentially it works with crypto to get their goal accomplished or their mission accomplished so so yeah right now i'm helping um uh jovian brown with social tech labs i'm like doing some of her culture work we're working on applying for grants right now and like collecting that information and actually putting in applications so we're in the very beginning stages but i met jovian through um the ETH Denver conference through someone else that I met at the East Denver conference in February. So, so yeah, it's been a really great ride. That conference was a really big practice in like kind of doing what I just did here, I guess, which kind of like trying to put words to like who I am and, and what I want to accomplish um, and the skills that I have to offer, like the talents that I have to offer. So, um, and through that, I just made connections and friends and I, you know, like, through Taylor, I met you. And so mm-hmm. here we are. <laughs> Man, th- yes, here we are. There is a million things that you just covered that I hope we can pick back through. I tried to jot down uh, some notes here. Um, I do think for the sake, like 
I'm going to, I'm going to do everyone listening a favor. Um, and, and I'm going to resist the urge to go back to the beginning of some of that. And I have some notes, so hopefully I can remember how to do that. But for those listening, um, let's talk about the end of that story. Um, I'm not that into crypto. I went to eat Denver. I'm learning and exploring DAOs are decentralized autonomous organizations. These are the future of business and collaboration over distance. Um, for those listening that don't know what the hell you're talking about, can you give some sketch of what that is? Uh, maybe what are some of the things that you were sent or learned or whatever, just for the sake of context, then we can go back into some of the non-Web3 story because there's so much that leads to this. But I do think for the sake of those listening, maybe they could use a little schooling here. Yeah. Um, so Web3, so I... Also, I don't, I don't feel like I'm an expert. So there's that part of it. So That's I just want to put that disclaimer out there. I love that. I love um, that. Please don't quote me. Web3 is kind of like the umbrella term for the world of blockchain building. And so under that umbrella, we have crypto was kind of like the first big thing that came out of that, that people were really excited about. Um, and then we have NFTs. Um, and like a really strong focus on um, smart contracts mm -hmm. and thing and like contracts that can be pre-coded ahead of time to function a certain way that cannot be changed unless a certain protocol, like some cannot be changed ever. Some mm -hmm. are programmed to say they can be changed unless there's a certain, uh, they can't be changed unless there's a certain protocol that is initiated and blah, 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 voted on all of that. Like you can code it however you want. And so think about all the things you can run, you can like automate through that type of technology, just like business wise and like increasing efficiency anyway. Um, and then, and then NFTs being the non-fungible tokens, be, meaning like they are the unique and only one of them. And that is the way that it is proven through this, through this coded contract. Yep. So you, you also correct me if I, if I'm wrong. Okay. Cause sure. you know this stuff. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I'm, I'm also very interested in this and there have probably been previous episodes that have touched on this, but I don't ever want to assume that our audience has gone down the rabbit hole yeah. and would love to tease them into that a little bit as well. Um, what, and, okay. So then, and then that leads to DAOs. And then the third, the third like discovery that has come out of this world is DAO. So these are like the three pillars right now that mm -hmm. I'm aware of is cryptocurrency, NFTs, and DAOs. And they all kind of like work together yep. in ways I don't completely understand. So I'm not going to try to attempt that at this yep. point. Fair enough. Um, but um, DAOs being decentralized autonomous organizations. So that's taking the smart contract technology and applying mm -hmm. it in a social setting, mm -hmm. applying it to real time, real people, real goals. And so there are DAOs, these decentralized autonomous organizations that are organized by humans. And then whatever they audit, whatever they can automate, they will automate um, through, through a smart contract that then has like a specific launch date and that's agreed upon and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, and how it functions is agreed upon um, generally by everyone that's involved before, before it launches so that everyone is like, yes, I agree to this contract. Yep. So, so yeah. Um, so it really allows people to come together to make some magic happen. There, there's a DAO that exists to give, basically, um, help local pizzerias um, not go out of business. And so what they do is they literally just like raise money 
to have pizza parties and the pizza is always ordered mm. bought from local businesses. So that's just one example. Mm -hmm. um, and then the one I'm working on building, the one that I'm trying to help, but I wouldn't say that I'm working on building because I'm not the founder. She's the founder. Sure. She's this is Social Tech Labs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell yeah. us about it. So that one is kind of like a decentralized research institute that focuses on um, like Web3 quote unquote like work environments and what that looks like now, how people are and are not getting their needs met. So it's a research institute. So they're actively doing their research. Mm -hmm. They're like, or that's the first iteration of it. We, we've had some brainstorming sessions where like I've heard the founder say some other things that are exciting, but but for, we're going to start with the research organization because that's her dream. And that, and so we're going to kind of like, we're just going through the grand process right now. It's really exciting. So I'm kind of like watching her build the mm -hmm. infrastructure You're, and like yeah. come up with the budgets for things. And it's just like, it's really, it's really cool to watch. Yeah, you're at a very okay. exciting. I mean, it sounds like even historically, a lot of your roles were in established institutions, right? Mm -hmm. And now you're at this like entrepreneurial development yeah. side of something that that you play a similar function in. You're like, yeah, I could do what I do in the institution because we're talking about the social setting, the humans, the goals, the interactions, the development, the teamwork, the leadership all of the things that you're like that applies in a new thing and an old thing uh, differently, but equally. And that's a really, really exciting kind of now, I guess just using that uh, kind of um, dichotomy between the established and the new um, I'm curious to hear, like, how's it different? Like, how are you experiencing those differently? <laughs> well, I tell you how it's not different. There's people who, resist culture work no matter what <laughs> what do you mean by that um like they're just for whatever reason in their life they are like they haven't had experiences that have led them to be comfortable in like being vulnerable and like really mm. bringing their true selves to the work environment and so this is a different type of work environment where like it's not a traditional organization so the people that i work with i just kind of assumed like everyone was like already on the same page about mm -hmm. that and there are people that are just like still so like that's all I feel like that's always going to be a struggle of like helping people understand the importance of this work mm -hmm. um it's not the founder that's what's important but <laughs> but like that that's what has been similar but everything else is different like everything there's no there are no limits like <laughs> we don't have to we do not we we'll have to worry about budgets. Like we create our budget according to what our dream is. We are not limited by budget. And mm. that's the beauty of it is like the people who believe in it will fund it. <laughs> I see. So uh, this is interesting. So you're um, humans are humans. That seems to be the thing that stays the same, right? So you're like humans are humans in both places. Yeah. But in this place we're in, a blank whiteboard space where we can map this out however we want instead of falling into a spreadsheet mm -hmm. that exists already. So like I can innovate in a box versus I can create a new world out here. And that's, that, what it's like. that's super exciting, isn't it? That's what, that is what I feel like all of like the, the people that are involved in web three are mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I do have to make a little bit of a side note there of like, yes, I, yes, there are some people that are not like, that don't have the best of intentions that are in the space. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about like the majority of others that yep, like, really want right. to help the world become a better place, like to, on a macro level, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like that's what it is. It's like the world is our oyster. We can make something out of nothing. I say, like, I have ideas and people are like, that's totally achievable. Unlike, right. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> Everywhere else is just obstacles and yeah. line items <laughs> and reasons that can't be done or is a liability or is illegal uh-huh. or is whatever versus, it, yeah, I don't, don't know. We could try. Trying. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Don't bother trying versus mm. try and then try again and then try again. <laughs> like, that's really the big difference I've experienced the open-mindedness, the future mm. thinking. Um, it's really the growth mindset that I've, I've seen it just like in so many people that I've met in the Web3 environment. It's the people that are able to kind of like see what's not there and then create it. <laughs> Man, that's such a, that's, I mean, so same. And it's, it is definitely what seems most appealing in this space. Uh, and, and it, that has reinvigorated for me hope Right. Where, where like within institution, within, I mean, God, even the principalities in terms of like nation state or uh, 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 municipality or whatever, there's like, those are just, they're, they're hierarchical organizations that have, this is the, and there's something good about that. Like they, they, they're built to exist over time. They're not nimble. They're not innovative, but they're, they're stable at least uh, in construct or in intention. Um, but then, so going back a little bit to your experience in higher ed, this feels like it maps together a little bit. So you're like, you know, there was a lot of us in higher education that we feel like we're passionate about the why here. Um, and so we're giving ourselves to this, but we feel burnt out because we're understaffed, we're overworked, we're under-resourced. And that seems to map to the spreadsheet to the to the grid to the to the box that it exists within so in some level it doesn't matter how passionate of a vocation you have in that classroom in that box in that institution you're kind of in a fish tank you're in a i don't know what metaphor to use but you're in a you're in a you're in a construct that has its limitations and it seems like you've been set free a little bit like you're experiencing some liberation too because you had said I always valued being creative and it seemed like that was probably the case in the institution and yet and I wonder well one because you said a couple things about burnout and so I feel like this makes sense of that a little bit so I'm anticipating an answer here like why you might have felt burnt out and why this feels so liberating and free and then also how leadership plays a role in burnout was something you had said that I wanted to like call back to and say, I don't know, speak to that. So, you know, the contrast, the burnout, that place that you were there, like, yeah, just reflect on that a little bit. Okay. I'm going to start with right now I am living my best life. I, love that. <laughs> I basically was like, things don't feel right. I intuitively felt that things don't feel right. I didn't feel seen, heard and valued anymore. and anymore there was a point where I did Mm. um under a different different leadership um and so I lost my ability to form a coherent sentence 
and for me like that was terrifying Mm. and I had and I was having all these health issues from the stress um and all the doctors could determine was burnout from work and um it makes complete sense like I'm a little embarrassed to say that I like didn't put the puzzle pieces together of this until at like years after it like symptoms started where like when you are not when you first of all when you're not seen when you're not when you don't feel heard when you don't feel valued that is like stake in the heart right like you're you don't you don't exist um and that is in a human development perspective that causes us to decline hard um and so there's that um but then also when your work when what you're doing every day does not fill the appropriate buckets for you as an individual. And I can talk about buckets too. Um, not, we're definitely going to do that. Okay. Then, uh, then you're not going to be happy. You're not going to perform your best. And like, you will literally have physical symptoms. Yep. Your body is going to reject it. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> so do, do you know the book? Do you know the book? The body, when the body says no, Oh, I thought you were going to say the body keeps the score. That's another one on this. Actually, who who are the, I'm going to, yeah, go on. Whichever yeah, yeah, one, yeah. just talk to us about it. I'm going to look those up. I actually think. Great, those... great book. I don't think I've read the one you're referring to, but the body keeps the score is Tell me about a it. phenomenal book. Just like really clarifies like a, a for, for someone, for, I don't like to say lay person, but like for someone that's not familiar with psychological terms, like it really talks about it in a way that helps you understand how trauma and your experiences in general and life are held within your body when they're not properly processed. Yep. They stay with you. And that's another thing. That's another thing that like I do, well, I used to do in workplaces is advocate for trauma for trauma informed practices. Mm. You'd be surprised how many people are against that. (laughs) Why? Everyone has, has issues that like, I very strongly believe that there's no such thing as a bad employee. Mm. There is, there is such thing as a, a leader who doesn't know how to provide the environment for that person to blossom to come out of whatever struggles they enter into the workplace with from their normal lives like their personal lives I mean um yeah so yeah, mm. I don't know I lost well, track of what I was thinking <laughs> well so so the body keeps the score um I think you you really hit on and then when the body says no um which I I'll just say I don't know really deeply and it is very similar uh it's Gaber Mate is the author who by the way I just recommend reading everything by Gaber Mate um but this book is actually reflects on some very concrete um diagnoses uh related to neurological diseases um like Lou Gehrig's disease and actually maps them to experience and personality and and so those map really well one is more clinical psychological like so so like there's this one um i and and i've read pieces of the book my wife talks about the book constantly she's in love with the book um but like there are so if i remember right i think it is lou gehrig's disease 
that um, there are doctors that will talk to someone who has symptoms that they go, I think I have this condition. And they will just in a conversation with the person be able to go, no, you don't. And the, and the reason that they can discern that through a conversation is that they're not nice enough. <laughs> and uh, genuinely, so, so they go, no, everyone who has this across the board is a nice person and, and overly nice, problematically nice. Don't tell their truth. Nice bottle it up. Nice. Don't agree to what is shouldn't be agreed to. Don't practice good boundaries. And actually every single person whose body shuts down in this way is unbelievably nice. And if I talk to you and you seem like a fairly disagreeable person, then you do not have this disease. That's it's that consistent that we could just diagnose you conversation. We can not diagnose you. We can say you don't have it because of that. So that's the one thing that really stuck with me, but it maps a lot to this and it is all trauma informed. Like it's like his, his entire, so he writes about addiction and illness and all these things, but it all goes back to, for him, childhood trauma, things that we embody and carry within our bodies um, and how those kind of play into things. And then we could talk for days about coping mechanisms and, (laughs) and masking and stabbing and those other things if you want. Well, I tell you what, just since you said that, uh, give us a little, give us a little vignette of, of, of what you're talking about. Oh, just like, um, there's so many different ways that people cope with, with trauma that are considered quote unquote healthy and unhealthy, right? So addiction, one of them, very obviously an unhealthy version exercise is one that has been heard on both, both ends of the spectrum too much or not at all Mm -hmm. um and like a lot of other things like that come out physically in your body too like um biting your nails i i went like this because i bite my cheeks (laughs) oh wow biting your lips um like have it like going like this with your hands or like needing to like fidget like it'll it like it's like the energy needs to come out <laughs> like mm-hmm. and it's and it, and it has to go somewhere you have to put it somewhere and it's like what do you choose that's really what it is it's like what what avenue are you going to choose for this to go because you're not you're not able or willing to feel it right now mm-hmm. so you're like yeah so I think that's a great conversation to have to just kind of talk about the huge spectrum of things so that people start to understand oh, these behaviors, they're not necessarily unhealthy, but they are a sign. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I mean, they are, they, they're not necessarily unhealthy, but they are a sign. <laughs> well, uh, do okay. this. And, and there's, there's, I know we're, we're going to meander here and hopefully that's okay with you. Um, it, my experience with you, so far is that, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, well, that's good. So, but I, I have a bunch of stuff I want to kind of circle back to, but before we do on this kind of coping mechanism thing, and it, you know, there's like, uh, overworking out, not working out all these things that you just rattled off. Um, I, I can't help, but wonder just to the theme of the show. Um, you know, there is a lot of work that is done. People that are extremely productive, um, maybe as coping mechanism, um, lots of us, lots of people do a lot of work out of a lack of self-worth, 
like I just want to be seen and valued and, and actually rather than allowing work to grow out of a sense of value and identity. Right. And, and it's weird because they can look very similar. Um, they can accomplish. I mean, someone could be very, very fit in the gym because they're a very healthy person. And someone could be very, very fit in the gym because they're dying inside. Uh, and then the same with our work ethic. And I, and I guess it'd be, I'm interested in hearing from you on this topic in particular, just like speaking to work ethic as such and, and actually thinking about it in the lens of health and dysfunction and coping and thriving and like how you understand productivity and human motivation and, and, and health. I love what you said. It was letting the work come out of, um, do you remember what you said? Yeah, I do. Because I think about this all the time. Like the work grows out of a lack of self-worth or a lack of, um, security in our own identity. I don't know exactly the words I use, but like people are extremely productive and working to be seen because they don't the know <laughs> that they're, that they're a valuable human being to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then contrasting that with someone who goes, I am valuable and worthwhile and loved. And, and because of that produce, right? Yeah. Something overflows from the well of a security and an identity versus uh, production out of deficit. Something like that is yeah. something like what I said. Yeah. That second one, the one where like the person, I, I call that thriving. That's thriving. Mm-hmm. When, you're, when you're aligned and you're, you're in innovative states and flow states really easily, easily, you feel seen, heard, valued. You have a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. You, the environment feels safe. You have psychological safety that is what the goal is because that is when you're most productive that's when you're most inspired that's when you're most creative um you do need to take rests from those periods sure but that's it's like way more efficient to work in that way because you have all of that regenerative energy that comes with those things for you as an individual and it's different for each person those are the buckets that i was Mm. talking about earlier um yeah (laughs) yeah and so like that was really like the heart of what I was doing when I was working full-time was trying like helping people understand like that's how you get the most productive people (laughs) as a leader um you get to know them and you provide that environment okay so uh talk to me about the buckets the buckets okay so the buckets um so when I originally came up with this concept, it was like a pie graph, but the pie graph had like so many different like things in it because your pie graph could have, I don't know, 10 things in it. It could have 200 things in it. It depends on the person. Um, okay. But really, really uh, it's generally the things in your life that bring you joy and the things that you've identified are your like unique gifts that you are bringing to the table. So things that you love doing, you are really good at are your gifts that you're bringing Um, as well as the mindset that you bring to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of like, 
when you are running low in your buckets, you start to feel it. So for example, if at work you start to feel not valued, then like you ever get that like feeling in your gut of like, oh, something's off. <laughs> or like, oh, I'm not looking forward to that meeting. Oh, I'm not looking forward to talking to that person. Oh, like whenever there's that feeling, something is off and you just have to figure out what it is and put it back in alignment. Now in the workplace, you don't always have control over whether or not you're in alignment. You can advocate for yourself. If you've done the self-work, the self-exploration yeah, right. work, you can advocate for yourself. But however that person translates it, that person that controls your work environment, very frankly, they control your work environment because they they are your work experience, your interactions with them. If they and they control what your workload is in, in the traditional sense of work, not the world I'm working in now. Um, and so um Oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> no worries. Well, you were talking about the buckets and the pie graph and yes. things that you're saying when one of those things is, which you're not exactly naming them, you're saying, well, there are things that bring you joy. There are things that are unique gifts or things you'd love doing. There are things that you're really good at. Uh, they're your mindset. And, but then by, by way of example, when you feel something's off, um, there's like a way to bring that into alignment. But sometimes in the traditional work environment, you're not the idea of like, there's some things you can control. Like, you know, I always think of the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom of the difference. Like we can control how we respond to these environments that we're in. Maybe we can leave. Maybe we can advocate for ourselves. Maybe we can, you know, there are things we control our own feelings, thoughts, behaviors, but there are things outside of our control the culture, the environment, the, the, the ecosystem within which mm -hmm. we're in, uh, that's, that's, I don't know if that's helpful to like bring you back to the train of thought, but that's, that's kind of what you were fleshing out, which if there's not more to say there, I can, I can ask you some things about that. But if, if there's more to, you're like, Oh, I want to pick up with that. Well, go, go ahead. I'll talk about the example about like buckets. So for you, are you okay talking about your personal life? You can talk to me about anything you want. Okay. <laughs> so for you, you have a wife. I do. And I bet that it's very important to you to have time with your wife. Yes. And then of course, like go even deeper. What are your love languages? What does that time look like? Is it spent in the smartest ways and like the best ways for both of you to feel loved during the time that you have together? So like you just go deeper and deeper and deeper to like, make sure your bucket's really full mm -hmm. you like figure out what that experience needs to be to like and then you know when it's not full and you know what to do to fill it up so that's what i'm talking about like those types of things it's your values it's what you know that you need to like be you yep fully yep yeah and, and then and then you know, work on defining that like a little bit more of like here are more examples <laughs> well no it's good and i'm curious of the like i i kind of thought that there might be names to the pie to pie graph right like what because you're right it's all of these different things but yeah. probably they had a fall into a couple categories so i i'll take a stab at some based on some other constructs that i've i i go well like general fitness in terms of like physical well-being right so like is my physical ecosystem okay the the body says no like there's ways in which my body is telling me something uh i'm hungry i need to sleep 
you know, there's something wrong here. I have an ulcer, whatever. Like those are, those are uh, announcing some reality. So there's physical. I think there's probably financial, like there's probably something where, well, one, some people just care about making a bunch of money and it maybe breaks them from caring for their other buckets. So they ruin their family because they're worried about finance. So family would be another one of those. seems like these are all F's, but like your family and your friends, your finances and your fitness, like these are all things. And then maybe something like faith to stick with the F's, but like your, your sense of purpose for even for the, your, your calling, your vocation, your why, uh, your, your, the thing that pulls you. And, and I would go, those seem like all significant. And if, 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 if I go, yeah, I've got like a really good family. I've got a good group of friends. My finances are in order and I'm physically fit, but I don't know why any of this is going on. Um, my, my, I'm out of alignment in my, I would say faith, but in my, whatever that, that, uh, metaphysical piece of me is, um, I, it might really screw up the rest. And I could, I could make a, I could give all of my attention to any one of these things and go, all that matters is my friends. And then I lose my family and my finance and my fitness. Right. And so we make, we trade we make trade-offs. So there's something about what I'm hearing is like, there's these buckets, they all matter. Um, and you need to keep them balanced and you need to give them you need to pour into them and make sure. So this is why I think the illustration of time with your wife, which for me is a really interesting one. Cause you're right. My relationship with my wife is super significant and it, and she is an important part of my life, both as like a, um, uh, she is a, she is a different, a very different temperament than me that I really need in my life. Right. Like I don't see potential problems. All she sees is potential problems. Right. And then together we like balance each other out where I'm like, we'll, yeah. we'll survive this night. Uh, yes. She'll go, here's five things that could go wrong that you should probably be paying attention to. Yeah. And I'm like, that's really good. Uh, we, fr- we frustrate each other yeah. for that reason, but we uh-huh. need each other for that reason. And we make a good team time yeah. together is really important but like the love language thing matters. So, so you bring this up and I go, Oh yeah, we need different things. And sometimes I am giving her something that I don't need, or even sometimes even want, but I know that she needs, and I need a healthy spouse. I need to live in a house with someone who isn't, uh, uh, going to make living in that house hard, (laughs) right? Like you want your cohabitation to be healthy, just like your team at work, just like your Mm -hmm. other environments Mm -hmm. that you're in. Right. Exactly. Yeah, so that, that's it's my. All, it's all human sciences. It's all relationship. Yep. Like, and how we interact with each other, and how we either with every interaction we have a choice. We have control over what happens. It's either a positive experience, a negative experience, or a neutral experience. So, like, what kind of impact do you want to have on that other person? Mm-hmm. Positive, negative, neutral. I'm gonna. I might. I might. I might. I want to think about that. So, okay. So, um, as you're talking about, so I love this. I think this is really helpful and actually something to really, um, for everybody listening, I'm like, this is, this is a, a really good, um, uh, con- uh, uh, image to be thinking about, to be like, you know, and you know, what's funny. So it sounds like, did you hear bucket somewhere? Or did you make that up? I, I mean, like I probably heard it somewhere, but yeah. it's not like in, it's not like a known 
yeah. methodology well, or anything like that. <laughs> the re- the, and the I reason I, the reason I ask is I've heard it one other time and, Ooh. and, and it was, I didn't, I just stuck with me cause it was an interesting image, but there was a very successful entrepreneur um, who was just very wealthy and had many businesses that he had built. He was a new friend of mine. This is like several years ago. Um, and he, for a season, got involved with our nonprofit, both as a donor, but also as kind of like a board member for just a short season. Um, the entrepreneurial stuff really like limited his ability to be kind of available for that. But financially, and, and I remember asking him like, why do you want to do this with us? And he's like, well, I like what you, I like what we're doing here. You know, it's all good stuff, like care for the poor and food to the hungry. And it's all good stuff. But it seemed like it wasn't very passionate in terms of like, I'm called to this. He's clearly not. And I, and, but I was like, so, so I asked him like, why? And he said, you know, I realize I have all my buckets. If I, he goes, I think of all the buckets in my life and this philanthropic bucket is empty. Like I'm not giving back. And so I'm using you guys to fill a bucket so that my life is more balanced. So I'm going to give you money so that I feel like I have a more balanced kind of engaged. And and I was like, sounds great. Uh, But, but like, that's the only place I ever heard buckets, but it never, I never forgot that answer because it was so, it was such a powerful image and it just, I just pictured five Home Depot buckets in front of him and he gave all of his attention to four of them. And the fifth one was sitting there neglected. Yep. And he's like, something is wrong mm-hmm. and I need to do something about that. So here's a bunch of money. I love the imagery of buckets used in this case, because there is such a thing of like, my bucket is full and now it's overflowing yeah. for this one particular thing. That's right. Um, and so like the visual is just perfect for what I imagine for the effect really for what's happening. Okay. Question. So you just, the overflowing thing just triggered something. So um, the image of buckets and the idea that they could be empty, full, overflowing. Mm-hmm. And then before we were talking about people that are working as a coping mechanism for their own lack of self-worth or something like mm-hmm. that versus someone who is working out of an overflowing sense of identity and worth. Yes. Well, that kind of maps to this a little bit. And then there's a, and I don't know exactly where this is from. I want to say it's like a Psalm from like Jewish scripture or something. There's this, my cup run, my cup runneth over. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, you know what? That's interesting. Like a well, like a well runs over, right? Like it bubbles up Mm -hmm. and that spills into the world around it. And that made a lot of sense as we talked about identity. But now as you lay these other areas out, I'm like, if my financial bucket fills all the way up, it'll probably spill over to my community. If my, I don't know, physical fitness, I don't know how these yeah. things might work, but like, there's something like a virtuous cycle that seems like it emerged. I just wanted to ask you to like run with that a little, that image and respond to it. I have another image that comes to mind oh, of the, so Maslow's hierarchy, mm-hmm. food, shelter, food, shelter, clothing, sense of belonging all those things we need to survive (laughs) like very frankly yeah that's like the base of the pyramid right like if we're gonna map out these buckets 
those are the first buckets and when those are overflowing then you can fill the other buckets oh yeah you can't that's right that's right so like in maslow's hierarchy um like there's the base of the pyramid if i remember right is like food shelter clothing it's like and then it's safety so like i might have a house but live in a war zone so then safety is gonna matter Mm -hmm. then family sense of belonging then um well, so I, I do want to say one thing that I put sense of belonging that that's my edit of like, I put it in the um, bottom part. Mm-hmm. I should have noted that, um, that because there is data supporting that shows that when we don't have that, our brain like dies. <laughs> it's like, it's just like, all right, there's no reason to live now. <laughs> and we slowly go crazy. So I wanna... uh, which makes sense why in the pandemic in isolation, so many people We've had this huge wave of people being like, oh my God, I need help. And we were really short on psychologists and therapists to help. So I'm really curious about this. So I I love, uh, I I think Maslow's hierarchy is a really interesting point of reflection. Um, And it makes sense to put that there, but just like, so, so you know that I work with a lot of folks that live on the streets, right? That, that, that don't have food, shelter, clothing, things like that. And it's very obvious like, and, it, and I mean, honestly, we could look at war zones. We could look at places in history where like sense of belonging does actually fly out the window to your own demise. But like, if we're starving, if I'm starving, I will often violate my brother to yeah. eat. Right. Because there is something at some base survival instinct, animalistic level. And then you go, okay, cool. I've got, I ate, I have a place to sleep. I've got some clothes. I have, you know, uh, I know they include reproduction here or whatever, but it's like there's animal survival. Then you go safety. So resources, security, personal sense of safety, property, like there's something there. Then they go love and belonging. And I'm not, I'm just going through the, like, this is just the pyramid, right? Cause I just pulled it up. So not that I'll have a great memory, <laughs> but I'm like looking at it. So you have love and belonging, intimacy, family, sense of connection. Then just to finish this for, you know, the, the, the pyramid, it goes esteem, self-esteem, status, recognition, strength, freedom. <laughs> then you have self-actualization, right. To, 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 to really actualize yourself. So what one just, yeah. Amen. We need all those things. And it's yeah. very clear when someone's starving, why they might risk their safety or when they risk, when they're not safe, they might risk their relationships or when they, you know, it's like when, so they're, 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 they're built on top of one another and we will sacrifice the next one up for the, the more basic need. Right. So two thoughts. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to just put two things out there and then I'll, I'd love you to respond to this. So the first thing that comes to mind is there is a book by, um, and I know you do psychology, so you might know, um, Victor Frankel. So Victor Frankel is a dude that I love, um, was the founder of logotherapy, whatever, but he wrote a book that's very well known called man's search for meaning. And it's this memoir of the concentration camps at, um, in Nazi Germany. So he was a Jewish, um, Austrian, um, I believe, and that found himself in actually four concentration camps that he did survive. And then he went on to like form this incredibly powerful uh, kind of psychological construct called logotherapy. But man's search for meaning, he tells these stories that are really interesting because they're in this. So he's like, all these good Jews get put into concentration camps, just like good everyday people. Like we're all just decent folks, but the conditions unveiled something about 
the people. So like there were people who had no security, had no food, had no freedom, were stripped from their families. All of this was taken away. And when that happened, some of them became monsters. Like, like they would, they would lie, steal, cheat, break every relationship and violate anything and, and partner with the Gestapo against their own people for safety, security, whatever. And it makes perfect sense why that might happen. He's like, but then there were these other people that when they came in seemed the same, but when they were stripped of all of this, they would give their last morsel of bread. They would sacrifice themselves for the greater good. They, and, and he's like, there's something that differentiates these folks apart from the freedom, the safety, the, and even other people, it was like something transcendent that existed. And this is why his, his therapy was called logotherapy. He said, there's something like man's will to meaning is the way he would put it. Like something so profoundly meaningful, like religious almost that transcended life and death and freedom and all of these things. Okay. So let me, let me, I'm going to, so there's that, which I think is a really powerful point of reflection. I'm going to give one more that I think maps to it. I heard someone say recently, I've been thinking about this constantly about Maslow's hierarchy and they look at people like, um, do you know that the, well, let's just take like a, these people that lay their lives down for a cause, take like a, you know, a Martin Luther King Jr. I always think of the, um, the Vietnamese Buddhist monk who lit himself, who just doused himself in gas. Oh my God. Lit yeah. himself. So I have that actually hanging in my office. It's one of the most, I think one of the most powerful images in all of it's like seared in my brain. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I can't stop thinking about that. Yeah. And, and so they laid out, there's like, okay, all of these people actually do not function based on Maslow's hierarchy. Like there's something that actually breaks this whole construct and it maps to Nazi Germany, concentration camps, as well as like revolutionary lives, the, the heroes of history, the Jesuses of history, the Martin Kings, the Gandhis, the Mother yeah. Teresas, they go, it's not about, can I eat? Can I be safe? Do I have friends? Do I, do I wake up in the morning and have a sense of self-esteem or self-actualization? None of those are the questions of the, of the, uh, the hero revolutionary. Right. And, and I, I've never, I've not been able to stop thinking about that. And then also ho- trying to hold that. And I'm almost asking you to think with me here about this. Cause I can't stop thinking about this related to Maslow's hierarchy, this image of Nazi Germany, just the everyday person, everyday men that when women that come in and something is revealed in them by circumstance, and then these heroic lives that say all of that, need be damned for something that I'm, that I'll give my life for die for throw my life away for. So I I would love to hear you kind of, I don't know, wrestle with this with me a little bit. Mm, Let's riff a little bit. (laughs) Um, yeah. So a part of me wants to talk about the different, like how context changes when your circumstances change. Mm -hmm. And so what self-actualization looks like before uh, before you're put in an internment camp versus during, sure. very different. Circumstances are completely different. You don't have the resources you had before. What does self-actualization look like for you there in that moment? And so I would say perhaps those people were fulfilling that part of themselves 
I don't know how they would have skipped over the other pieces of it, though. The other pieces of the Maslow's hierarchy. That is really intriguing. That's what I can't stop thinking about. Right? It's like, wait, like, how, how do you make that move? I think, I think it must be connected to to like they feel like it is you know like their purpose too mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like i am here to give my last morsel of food to this person because i don't need i don't need i'm fine like like i can last another minute or whatever this person needs it but but even um, when they know that they can't i even, i yes, actually won't, i actually can't. won't last another minute and that's <laughs> not the priority here yeah, there's something like I am actually considering this neighbor over myself, like giving yeah. myself up, not actualizing self, but actualizing something else, actualizing love or sacrifice or and, and the reason. So one, I mean, this is to me just and and I wanted to hear your thoughts on this just in terms of like the idea of human growth and development. And it, this is a role that I think is played in evolution of humanity. This is something that I, I don't understand because it isn't, it, this doesn't help for reproductive. Like it's not actually like, it's best for the world that I leave an example to follow versus creating more of my own genetic line or something like that. And I actually puzzle over this and go, you know, religious language is the only thing that comes to mind for this, but it isn't always the answer. It's not because he, uh, he's like, yeah, they're all good Jews. But like, I mean, come on. Some of that's just cultural. Like this isn't like, oh, because they're the ones in temple and they're serious about their prayer. In fact, those didn't actually map. Well, what about like. What about the idea of like, these are my people mm -hmm. and for my people this is what would move them forward. You know, there's a, um, do you know the book? Um, Tolstoy wrote a book called The Kingdom of God is Within. Mm, you know book? So, and I'm not going to be able to recount this very well, but what you just said is part of it. So he says like, there's a way in which, um, and this is a reflecting on like a Christian ethic that he's doing. And it was very like nonviolent resistant type stuff. But he was, he would say like, you know, you start with like, love your neighbor then love your like village and then love your people and then love your nation. And, and part of this, and then love the, and then love the world. And what he was saying was the more you abstract the distance of love, the less tangibly doable it actually is. And yet it actually necessitates transcending um, practicality or something like that, because like, you can't love the world. Like, it, like the way you love your neighbor, like you, it's actually like, oh, you can have like a feeling or something, but like, and actually it looks like there are people who can or have, and it looks a lot like people who douse themselves in gasoline and light themselves on fire, get shot at the front of a revolution or get crucified in uh, first century Palestine or something like this, where it's like, there's something about those people. And, and I just, I've just always just thought, and I, I don't know, I was, I was curious what you might say to that. Cause I do think you're right. The, the conditions and circumstances of their lives, at least, and this is what um, Victor Frankl said is like, they, they actually um, set the stage to illuminate something deeper, like a state of being like, so like take back to the people, some work out of a lack of self-worth and some work because they know that they're valuable. I actually bet you that is the difference. 
Like now those yeah. same people who are both working really hard get locked in the cage, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> Bring it full circle. <laughs> yeah, so like being able to be that um, like self-sacrificing, I think it really has to come from that place. I'm going to use this for a weird transition. When you okay. were when you were working in the um in the institution in higher education, you you had a sense of um fulfillment around like you said like I help students find their path. Mm-hmm. And that seemed like something that was fulfilling. Like you were excited about that. Um one, the phrase their path stood out to me. Like there's a path Mm-hmm. Um, this maps to the self-actualization stuff. It maps to like why we do what we do, where we're going, what we're aiming at. So all of that kind of there. Um, and, and at the heart of like the theme of this show, the work ethic is like a sense of vocation, which even just etym- etymologically is like the calling like that, that the vocation means voice, like vocal is the root of that. It's like, you're called to something what you're good at, what you find fulfillment in, all those buckets you rattled off. So like, talk to me about that job. Um, But then also like your thoughts around the idea of the path, their path, vocation, Mm -hmm. calling, um, because I think it it maps this a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to talk about path first. So, So I think of humans as like, we each have our own journey. And so, and, and at any given time, we have so many different paths to choose from. Mm. It's just like really a matter of figuring out like, what are those paths? And like a lot of people don't know how to go through that process of figuring out what the next step is. What are my options? Um, And so what I, what I did with students was I helped them. um, Well, I helped them pick a career. Um, back before I believe back before I like now 100% like we are not meant to have one career our whole lives we are not meant to sit in an office until we're 65 like all of that stuff humans do not do well in that type of routine environment in that way um completely disregarding some major things that people need in their daily lives that promote brain health everything revolves around brain i went off on i went off on a tangent the idea of paths um I, I was like entering into the realm of like i do get frustrated over because workplaces it's such a great opportunity to provide that type of environment to their people and they're missing it and in, and instead they're providing the type of environment that just like chips away at their people. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you want that to happen to the people that are supposed to be doing work for you, helping your organization grow? Mm-hmm. Like, don't you want them to be their best for you? So that's where that was heading. But to come yep. back to the paths, like that, that's really what, when I say path, I kind of like, what I'm referring to is like the individual's like options to move forward mm-hmm. uh, and helping them through that process of figuring that out. And that everyone has those. Everyone has them. Everyone has a million of them. Okay. So this is really interesting. Um, and, and we'll leave the career aside for a minute. Cause that's 
on the heels of this. That's like you're anticipating my follow-up. Uh, but 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 we'll leave that aside for a minute because let's just stick with like vocation. So forget career. Um, because you could go, I'm called to be an educator, to, to be a teacher. And then I could do that in a million different environments. I taught in the Sunday school and I taught in the elementary school and I taught in the, you know, and I, and I taught, you know, my children and I taught aerobics. I don't know. There's, there could be a million versions of that. Right. So, so, but in the sense of vocation and you said, well, you got to choose a path, but like there are many paths to choose from. So this idea of paths is really good. So I'm walking down a path and then I come to a crossroads. I come to a place where there are three paths. Um, and so one, you said, well, I want to help them identify. So a lot of people just have a really hard time seeing that there are options. So, and this is true and we all know it, like, you know, many of us it, kind of our generation and, and older probably are raised to go you know, you go to school, get good grades, you can go to college, so you can get a career that you'll last your whole life. And like that, you know, and it's like, that it's was true to enjoy vacations. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, 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 and whether or not it was a good idea to begin with, it was actually true for my dad. Yeah. Till the very end of his uh, career where it started to change and they started bringing young bucks in, but like that, that is no longer the case. Like there's no one for whom that's the case almost anymore. Right. There are very few versions of that path that exist, but, but we, can I talk, ahead, can yep, I talk yep, yep, on that for please. a minute? Mainly because workplaces don't know how to create the environment to keep people there long enough so that people feel like they're actually growing and there, and, and, and of course the culture part of it too, there's that too, but I just wanted to mention that. <laughs> so, well, so, okay. And I'll just, I have a little bit of a, because that is different and, and, and we can, I actually think there's like five good conversations in what you just said. So like, yeah. but the, and maybe we'll do a whole spinoff season of this because this is, this is great. But like the, um, I think that we, and I think we're, I believe we're probably doing this today. Um, we raise children for the world that we live in rather than the world that they will live in. And it's a major mistake, but we've been, we've been making it over and over and over and over. So my dad taught me to do things for the world that he grew up in, but I'm not a baby boomer and I don't live in the world that my dad lived in. And to yeah. do what my dad did would be foolish. Yeah, death. his worries back then are different from your worries and your challenges right now. <laughs> and I think it's very easy for us to look at our parents and go, that's very obviously happening. What I don't think is very easy is for us to look at how we're raising our children today oh my God. and going, oh my God, we are raising them to live in this world. But like, like tomorrow's world is going to look so different from this world. Um, that we are failing them miserably. And I think obviously, but it doesn't seem that it's obvious to everybody. Uh, it's a point of contention and argument. So, so that would be my like, because right. But, but, but whatever the case is, that path is not a likely path, right? We, we, so there is like the path of yesterday, probably not an advisable path, but you have a bunch of paths ahead of you and you need to pick a path. So you said, well, there's a bunch of paths and you help people choose from the path. So there's a, um, an author that I really love, um, GK Chesterton who writes, um, 
he, he, he almost like more people I think are familiar with Oscar Wilde, but he has like similar, like poetic turns of phrase, you know, like just like his, so there's this book orthodoxy that he wrote um, that I, it's one of my favorite books. I, re, I try to read it every year again and again and again. I love it, but he has this image in it and he's talking about two schools of thought. The schools of thought are beside the point right now. Um, but he says, basically uh, there are two men. They represent these schools of thought and they, they, they come to a crossroads. So this is what the, I, the image called up this image from the book. They stand at a crossroads. He says one of them. So there's like a version of a school of thought that says all paths are good or something like that. And so he chooses all paths. And then the other who says no, no paths are good. But just for, to simplify this, I'm sure I'm getting it slightly wrong, but he said, the conclusion is not hard to calculate. They stand at the crossroads. Like, both of them stand at the crossroads because you can't go down all paths and you can't go down no path. Well, you can go down no paths. It's the same as wanting to go down all paths. You go down no paths, right? And he's like, you don't do something. Okay. So, so you go, I had students, they would come in and go, first of all, there's many paths you could take. Also, you have to take one, right there. You actually have to do something. You have to act. Even if you decide later to like cut yeah. over to another path, you have to pick yeah. a path, right? And and then I and then I'm curious about I think I can anticipate you not thinking there's a right path. Like this is the right path, damn it. That that's more like what our parents want to tell us or whatever. However, I am curious because I think you might think there is a right path for you. Oh, and yeah. and so I wanted to hear like how do you navigate standing at the crossroads? I think so, like. First of all, it's not about, it's not necessarily, I don't want the primary focus to be about like the, like the decision about the path. It's making a decision and then taking action, like doing it, like just taking a path because yeah. like, I, I, I just think it's rampant that like, we're like paralyzed by indecision. So like, I want to just say that before I dive in that, like just making the decision is Pro is the progress just get the ball rolling um so like even even if you're even if you're like my options aren't good just pick one and then after that more different options will appear and then after that next choice more options will appear that's so good yep so like just keep just keep going and um but really if, if you have the if you have the um ability or time or whatever to really look at your decision and kind of make an intentional decision and something is popping out at you as the right thing or you're not sure how to find the right thing look for what speaks to you the most look for like what aligns with your values the most mm. like if you've identified that you need x amount of time with your wife are you going to take an 80 hour a job week a week job <laughs> mm -hmm. or you know like that's a silly example but just no, like, I mean, yeah, you're right. There is a, a little bit of a math problem to be done in some. Exactly. Of That's what it is. Time is finite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the only thing in the world that mm -hmm. is finite. And like, I mean, that's not true, but you know, what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I love to that. there's probably other finite things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, there's definitely like, I don't know, oil, maybe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And arguably everything is finite, yeah, right? Yeah. You, we're all just um, going to die. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can't make more of it. Um, okay. That's something that like we cannot make more of. 
And um, if we, if, if you have gone through that stage in your life where you've identified where you need to, not even just want to, but where you need to for you yourself to feel alive <laughs> and like a whole person, if, if something is like overlapping with that, if it's kind of like interfering with those things, that's a sign that it's maybe not the best choice. And so going back to the like, what if all the choices are bad? Again, just make a decision, advocate for yourself in the interim, and then more options will appear after that. You know, the, the wisdom in that that I think is lost on a lot of people um, is that you can make a decision, lean completely into that decision, and reserve the right to decide again. Um, that just, just as simple as that, like your decisions are not yeah. eternally decided. Yeah. They just are, it's like, well, if I went, if I, I did decide to live in Florida and that does equal not living in any of the other States. So it is a thou shalt not, I will live in Florida and I won't live in Georgia. Like that's a decision, but I could change. I could make another decision, right? Like I could, I could decide to jump ship. And that might've cost me some time to learn that lesson. It might've cost me some money to learn that lesson. Um, but that gives me capacity to make better decisions, to realign, yeah. right? And, th and through those experiences that are not truly aligned for you, you'll still learn about yourself. You'll learn how, how, like your default mode and handling stressful situations and perhaps handling conflict and whatever else is arising for you in in that scenario so it's, and everything is a learning experience and everything is information that you'll use to make your next decision all right so i there's a question i keep wanting to ask you but i'm gonna i'm still pushing it off so i'm not gonna okay. forget it but I'm, I'm like every time i think i'm gonna ask you this question you say something that makes me like oh, i gotta ask you another thing this is deeply fascinating to me so hopefully this is this is good uh for you as well the the Question that um, came to mind just now is you, because you're talking about an individual making these decisions, learning from these decisions. And there is a way that you're talking about like evolving humanity, growing, learning, right? Mm -hmm. And now I go, well, as you, as you work to um, engage with Web3, um, there is something very similar happening where, you know, so someone might go, I have an idea how the economy should work or whatever. And it's like, great, run the experiment. Cause now there's a mechanism for you to try it. If you can get a bunch of people yeah. together and you go, we should all share everything. Great. Try that. See how it goes. Someone says, I think everyone should have an equal say. Great. Try that. I think people that show up and put in work should have more say than someone that never shows up and does anything. Great. Try that. And you can write those algorithms and run a million experiments. And each of those are a fine decision and a fine experiment to run. And I guess the question here is like, how do you see web three and your work with DAOs and your even hoped for work with DAOs mapping to this um, so you were talking about an individual learning and growing, but now we're talking about a community learning and growing together, Col like as a, in some like collective conscious move, we're collectively deciding, we're yeah. collectively learning and making mistakes, we're collectively uh, evolving into something and I and I'd love to hear like what you're dreaming of and hoping for there and how it maps. So the work is consistently happening on the individual level. And mm -hmm. then in group settings, it's reinforced by whomever or not, depending on what their reaction and what the behavior mm -hmm. winds mm -hmm. up being. 
Um, it's either re- reinforced or not. Oh, or, or severely discouraged by everybody. <laughs> yeah, right? Sometimes that's the case. And, and so it's just a matter of um, translating that to the community setting. So like, yes, yes, still the baseline is we, stu- we, we need to figure out how to help each other feel seen, heard, and valued. Like those are baseline how people interact with each other that either makes them feel like shit or makes them, oh, are you allowed to curse on here? <laughs> oh, please. Okay. <laughs> or makes them feel really good um and i lost my train of thought because i cursed (laughs) i don't give a shit get back on track no uh (laughs) well you so i'm not gonna do this perfectly um but the line that stands out to me and hopefully it helps you pick up is um to help someone feel seen heard and valued uh that, that that's the yeah I mean, like, really, like, summarize all of, like, human development. If you want to help someone grow, when they talk to you, make sure that you're making eye contact. Make sure that you're actively... She listening. says to me as I look down to write. But I'm writing notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, it's, like, it's just those, those basics of, like, letting the person be expressive in your presence. And then, and then in return being non-judgmental and and in that provides the psychological safety that provides the feeling of I can be safe I can be vulnerable and that's really like that is the the skill that like when you master that you really like you can make a huge difference in your teams in your communities whatever your group environment is um, and then once people like witness you doing that in a group environment, then it, that just, um, what's the word I used before reinforces it. So Keep going, I, 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 I find those. So those two words, um, interesting to be paired together. So I, I feel like if I heard you right, you said safe and vulnerable. Yeah. Right. You That's can't interesting. Be vulnerable unless you feel safe. Okay. All right. So I have an environment within which I feel safe enough to expose myself, right? To to yeah. to to bear my soft side, to well, make to take a risk with my go ahead. This is kind of like speaking to the traditional way we've been functioning Mm -hmm. that we don't bring our true selves to work Mm -hmm. or to whatever we're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like for us to feel comfortable enough that like the other person is not going to judge us, that safety needs to have been established. There there's like group coaching sessions where people just kind of like leap in and say whatever and it's strangers and we show up and support each other and yep. and that's great um but i would say like this is a different concept of how mm-hmm. do you how does anybody create an environment where the other person can be themselves yeah because you really hold that key you either like when you interact with someone you're either like no you can't like that's the message you're sending by what you're saying mm-hmm. how you're at what your own behaviors are um versus the opposite of that, which is, this is a non-judgmental space. Mm-hmm. You can be yourself. You're safe here. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting. And I, I don't, this might be temperamental. Um, 
I find this to be true with me a lot. And it's funny because I don't think my, I just read this way at first glance and my wife gets this a lot, but there are people for whom uh, people dump stuff on them. Well, like, fair enough. I, that's phrased wrong, but like they go, they expose themselves quickly to like, there are, there are certain individuals like overshare. No, 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 no. Because I actually think this is more about, so, so my experience is, and my wife has a similar experience. We are people that seem to get opened up to quickly. Yeah. And we, we, we wonder why. Like we, we actually don't like, not like, I think we're good at this. And I actually think I read like a pretty, not a dude, you're not going to want to open up to just at like at face value and tone and all these things. Like I, I don't, it confuses me, but, but somehow people come and they go, I feel like I could tell you these things that I'm struggling with. And we find ourselves in, in situations where we're like, Oh, oh my God. Like yeah. I have a, there's a real responsibility here to respond and to care because like, I didn't, I didn't, but, but like, and I don't think that's true for everybody. I don't think everybody runs around yeah. doing that. And I, I do think people run around needing to do that so that when they yeah. find someone who seems like they might be a safe place to do it, they do it like, Oh God, here, can I just, can I, uh, can I drop these bags I'm carrying, please? Yeah. And you seem like someone who will be okay with me doing that. You're not going to fall apart. I actually think that might be part of it too. Like, I know you won't fall apart if I do this and you won't judge me if I do this or that kind of a thing. Um, and, but the re and, and I think this makes perfect sense about setting the table. I mean, this is like, I talk about all of our work is setting the table. I actually think there's an environmental reality. Um, did I ever tell you about the, um, the food, the meals that we do where we have, um, folks come in to eat and we did the tablecloth centerpiece thing. Have I told you this? Um, it sounds familiar, but go ahead. and. Tell All right. Me again. Well, I will. And I've definitely shared it on the podcast before. So listen again, if you listen, along. <laughs> but like we, we ran this meal site called the banquet, which um, it was every Thursday night. This is years ago. We're not doing this now, but it's one of the early things the well did before even becoming an organization. The community was like, we, we met some guys and gals that lived on the streets and they were like, Tampa's great. You can eat everywhere except for Thursday night. And we're like, Thursday night, there's nowhere to eat. This isn't true today. But at the time, there was no one serving food on Thursday night. So we're like, oh, we'll do that. Sounds great. We'll just do that. Uh, and there was a big organization in town that cooks a tremendous amount of food that they'll make available to you in these like Cambros to keep the food hot. So you so satellite sites can go out and set these up. So we found a church building that would let us meet there, some nonprofit. We set these up. We would go there, put out a bunch of tables, fluorescent light room, just this, you know, it's just like a community center or whatever. We opened up, set these tables, people would come in and eat. And we would just set these ugly Cambro boxes out and scoop. Here's your Salisbury steak and green beans or whatever it was that they gave us. Like, and for us, it was just a way to like one, meet this need, do something meaningful, and then build relationships with people, listen and sit down with them and have dinner with them. Yeah. So we would just go eat with them after we'd serve. Well, we did that for like a year or two. And to be honest, when, you know, if you know folks that live on the streets, I know you guys have a fair share of those out there as well, but Florida, because you can survive all year the, in California, Florida, the numbers are really high because the winters aren't as brutal. So the numbers are really high and there's a ton of mental illness, ton of addiction, ton of all this. So, so naturally, if you gather people from that demographic, um, you have problems. So people come in to eat and it's great, but then like someone throws a folding chair across the room at someone else. And then someone tries to stab someone and then someone flips the table over and then someone, you know, it's like, and so we would navigate this and go, 
because it didn't always seem safe for even the people there serving. It's like, oh my God, like this is scary. And you would, you know, what we would do is say to someone that freaked out or threw a chair, we'd say, listen, you can't do that here. Um, you got to go. Um, but next week we'll be here again and you can come back. And if you don't throw chairs, you're good. Like no big deal. We're not banning you. Just don't do that. And tonight you're leaving. And we would do that. Well, then along the way, um, I found a local group of women. I think they were a church group a middle-class, pretty well-off women that, you know, it's like a ladies group that was like, we want to do something. And I was like, well, I have an idea. We do this meal every Thursday and I would like it to be like a restaurant. So I want like tablecloth centerpieces. I don't want to use paper plates anymore. I want to use dishes, but that means we need a dishwasher. Um, I want centerpieces. I want flowers. I want, I want to turn off the fluorescent lights. So I need a bunch of like um, Christmas lights to hang. Uh, I want to set, I, I want to set the table romantically and i'm gonna have a friend come in and play guitar in the corner and like i'm just gonna do all this stuff we had and then we're gonna put the food in a back room and we're gonna plate it like like it's a fancy restaurant and we're gonna i need so now i need more volunteers we're gonna serve the tables um they still don't get to order which i would have loved but like we only have this tonight so this is what you're getting um and we had a maitre d at the front so they'd wait at the front and they'd be taken in seated Someone would come out, pour water. They'd have a waiter. And then we tried to station someone at every table to play like host. Not that they had a job very much other than like communicate with waiters. Like, hey, we need some extra refills over here or whatever. But also just to keep conversation and make sure the tone was right at the table. Well, it blew my mind. Blew my mind. I can, I've never been able to stop thinking about this. And, I, and, and this is why I think so much about... I, uh, environmentalism not so much like oh like the environment and like that's important too but i'm saying like no that the way the table was set because these yeah. same people who live their lives in excruciating stress who have mental illness who have been out in the hot florida sun all day who have not slept who are hungry like there's a million reasons to snap and hit you with a folding chair and and like i don't even blame them sometimes did you hear what that guy just said and like and, and then we bring them in and seat them here with flowers and these same folks like catfish would say to magic, Hey, magic, would you please pass the pepper? And, and they started interacting as if they were in these romantic relationships, almost like the way that they talked to each other. And it was like someone had taken a magic wand and transformed the same people. And legitimately, we almost never had chairs thrown anymore. Mm-hmm. And I know this is kind of like what you're speaking to, but I wanted to share that with you because I actually think there is something really important about the way the table is set. I imagine this speaks to what you're saying around like feeling safe enough to share, feeling safe enough to be vulnerable. You want to respond to that? Yeah, well, I think that is a direct um, response to feeling seen. Mm. Mm. Valued. Think about how often they feel that way. So rare. Right. It's, that, like, it's like dignity. You gave them a, like a, some of their dignity. You know, it's funny. I always, I always have a hard time with that. Like the, the term you just, people use that, but yeah. I, I think you're right. But gave them dignity. I, I, I would say like, we recognize their dignity mm-hmm. because they, mm-hmm. they came with it. They, they are yeah. human beings with dignity and worth and value, but we recognized it. And that is dignifying right but but i think you're right i think there is a way in which it's like and and what we wanted to say to people is you i i never use the word deserve i have a bit of a hang up on that but like you're worth you're worth our best mm-hmm. um 
and 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 because you're worth it um we we're gonna do our best here and then and then yeah. what's interesting is when we make mistakes they're like yeah you're i mean you're clearly doing your best here um well, and yeah think about like how many experiences that population of people has where they feel worthy i mean honestly no and honestly this is the problem even with our work today i still think Mm -hmm. it's problematic and there's no way around this if you're in a position of giving hungry people food because like one it's like mercy and like it's a need but it also especially if it's on repeat like i'll see you next thursday we're we're and we do this with groceries and i'm like no like this is beautiful and good and it's helpful and they could spend their money to do something with their kids. And I, I love everything about this, but I'm not going to act like it's all good because we're actually creating some weird dependency or passive recipient, non now these, I, we, we work really hard to keep these relationships reciprocal. Like I will say to them in line, I need you to teach me. I need you to lead me. I need you to like, you tell us what to do and I, and we need you and you need a sandwich and and we are trading these things. Like I want to fight for that, but I'm not, I'm not confused about what's happening. Like it would be better. I I genuinely think if everybody had to like pay a dollar for it, like, it's like, you know, because it's like, you're, you're, buying this at a great deal and it's still but it's like it's still like um dignifying in that way like i am a contributing member of this thing rather than a recipient of this thing and it's it's a weird tension in my work that we always have and i don't know what to do with it because i'm like well i'm still going to do this because it's needed the food goes wasted people are going hungry you can use that money differently and oh by the way i just want to know these people and that's the way i get to meet with them so it's a great excuse is it the best version of it? No, I don't think I'll ever be able to say, this is my, maybe my condition. I'm just like, it's never enough. But at every step, it's like, can it be, can there be a tablecloth? Can there be a centerpiece? Can it be wicker baskets? Can it be prettier? Can yeah. it be more dignifying? Can it be like more enviable or desirable? Um, and that's something or that like, how close can we get to the experience of not being homeless? <laughs> Correct. And well, give them that, that yep, time yep. in that environment. That's it. Well, and this is interesting about the word home. Um, I, I hear like, uh, there's a lot of like more, well, I don't know, like, let's say like very, there's a thing that people do. They see, it seems to be a pretty, like, I don't know. I want to say it's like a very liberal, uh, type of, not, not like that's a negative thing, but like, it's so sensitive. So there's a, there's a group that I know that really like, and, and there's nothing wrong with this. They say houseless instead of homeless because a home is something different than a house. Like they don't have a house. That doesn't mean they don't have a home. Right. Cause it's, that's related to community and place. And I, I like fundamentally agree. I'm just not like nitpicky on words in that way. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, they say they're homeless, whatever. So like it, you know, I don't, I don't make much of that. And I always like, but it's, it's a, it's a signal of this group. Like they, they insist on it. Uh, it seems like not to me, but to each other and, and to themselves, but it is true that you say, how close can we be to not being homeless? And there is something about, the, there's a, there's a statement being made in their choice of words that I really appreciate because it actually is like when we ran a daytime drop-in center years ago for the homeless, it was a place for people to be six days a week. We, we were closed one day. We had showers, places for them to rest, watch TV, make coffee, hang out with each other. And I knew, I would always say, we cannot get all these people houses. That's impossible. Can't be done. 
but we can make a place where they can make themselves at home regularly. And that's exactly actually what the table is. The bike shop is all of the work that we're trying to do is like to make it a home. And yeah. to say you're the hospitality is like the door is open. You're welcome here. You're can we become family and find home in one another? And actually that speaks back to you going, well, then you feel safe when you feel like you're at home with each other. Yeah. And, and then I can be vulnerable and open with you. And by you, and to go back to what, to your um, meals that you do on, that you were doing on Thursdays, yep. you were providing a space for people to build community. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. So that was like, the main purpose of it. The food yeah. was like the excuse. That's and right. so like, it makes sense that people became friendlier with each other because all of a sudden every Thursday I see you at this place and we have this great experience where we feel like humans. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I know you don't have a lot longer. And the question I've been like putting off since the very beginning here is, um, well, there's a couple, if you're, if you're good for these and maybe I'll try to rapid fire a couple of them, but the first one is, um, related to, man, I hope I could frame this right now. Um, you were talking about like working well, so career spoke to this a little bit, like, well, I don't think people are fit for that. And you kept talking about work as in employment, as in working full-time, as in when I was, when I was working full-time, you said, and I'm like, oh, that's an interesting turn of phrase, but it makes perfect sense in the way that we've set up our society where we relate work and employment. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I know unemployed people that work their asses off and you're now working really hard on other things. And that's a bit of the conversation I've been trying to have around this whole show. Um, but I, w- I wanted to ask you to directly speak to that because you've alluded to a different frame of like, well, you know, career, work, full-time, that thing, yeah. and then working in some creative, collaborative kind of whatever. And But I, I want to give you a, a chance to really just speak directly to that. Yeah, so when I say working full-time, it's really using the old language mm. that, and I use that just because I think that most people understand what I mean yes. when I say that. So I think it's like just a short term to use to get mm. to what I'm trying to explain. Um, what I mean by that, to go a little bit deeper, is like spending the best hours of every day at a desk um, or like just gen- doesn't even have to be at a desk, but like just working for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, humans are not, I don't think we're meant to, we're definitely not meant to be stationary. We're not meant to be sitting all day. We're not meant to be in front of screens all day. Um, and I think we're still figuring that out as far as like how much screen time can a human handle or like what is optimal definitely. because there is definitely, there's definitely a cap there. And I think like we can establish a baseline generalization, but it is again individual to each person that even that like yeah um so so the idea of working traditionally i'll just say is like 40 plus hours a week monday through friday um and then having weekends off and so what i'm doing now is i manage my time very specifically tailored to my values and what brings me life essentially like I use the term what feeds my soul and so um, I no longer have time for things that do not feed my soul and I've become like really good at detecting like what is not what does not align with me what does 
Um, and so my days are, are, are like structured around making sure that I have X amount of time with my dog and X amount of time with my friends and X amount of time with my family. And then work comes after all of those. Then I schedule and work after that. Mm. Um, and by work, I mean, um, I do have some meetings that I attend that are like team meetings with the people I'm working with right now. But I also um, just like for the most part, most of the time, it's I get to do whatever, like whatever I want, whenever I want. Like we have a certain deadline of when we want certain things done, but I can choose any time between now and the deadline to work on it. I don't have to be someplace at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. or 7 a.m. some workplaces um, and like. So I can do it when I feel inspired. I can do it when I have, because I know within a week, I'm going to have that rush of inspiration and energy. It's just like, it's not right now. So I'm not going to do it right now. I'll do it when that strikes. And so it's just like, I have found it to be very freeing to be able to Mm -hmm. structure my time in that way. So I'm prioritizing what's most important to me that I feel like for me to show up to like the quote unquote work side of things. Um, And I can talk about quote unquote work too. Uh, (laughs) um, I know that I need these other things to be solid. I need these buckets to be full Mm -hmm. or at least three quarters of the way. (laughs) Well, what is quote unquote work? Quote unquote work is, so that's something that I don't think I really like that word because it's just, so attached to the traditional line of thinking. And so when I say work, I'm, especially right now in this phase of my life, I'm talking about projects that I have identified for like, that I think would be so fucking fun, like (laughs) amazing, or like initiatives that I wanna help like really succeed. So I am like super inspired about the things that I choose to quote unquote work on. And really the the differentiating factors are like, am I help? I think like, am I helping outside people kind of like with, with their goals and dreams? Rather than your own. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. That's, that was a very helpful distinction. Um, I, I, uh, I was just thinking about, um, you know, earlier this week, someone, I always flinch when I hear um, the phrase work-life balance. And, and I think I flinch because, I, and, and by the way, when you said old language, this really, it really hit me. And I, I'm going to, I want to, and maybe we can do a round two on this, but like, I really want to think about this idea of like, oh yeah, that's actually like, that's what this whole show is about. Right. Like I'm driven crazy by the idea that work is something that is like related to employment or that is something about like going somewhere nine to five rather than like working on your body, working on your mind, working on your relationships. Like you put it, you're built to work. And the idea that work and life is separate makes me insane. But because we're using old language, you know, we, we, we mean something else. We're like, well, you should have your weekends off or you should work like nine to five is a product of workers rights saying we should only work this amount. But like, if I'm doing like picture, like an artist painting a master, like Dolly, Salvador Dolly painting one of his masterpieces. Could you imagine him going, well, five o'clock, I got to knock off. Or if you came in to tell the artist to stop painting because it's time for not working, he would punch you in the mouth. 
You'll be like, yes. that's insane. I am a creator. Like yes. I was, it, it flows over. Humans are meant to be creators. We're meant to create and build and like think about the future. <laughs> I know you got to go in a minute. So let me give you um, a couple quick questions. Uh, what is your definition of success? I think right now I res I reserve the right to change this in the future. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, for, for right now, I really feel like su what success means to me is finding what that daily experience is for you yeah. that like really like lights you up. That's what it is. Like we're like we all have it in us. It's just a matter of finding it. That's such a good answer. And so continuous with your buckets and with your finding the path and vocation and feeding your soul. Uh, I, I guess I'll just end with this. Uh, where can people, is there any, anywhere people can find you contact you? Is there anything you want to point people to like, check out this thing? Do you have anything know. to promote, I, I guess, or to, <laughs> well, I, I have or to challenge uh... people to do. I do have a women's group that I um, mainly host virtually online. Mm -hmm. I've done a, a, couple, a very few amount of in-person gatherings. This is a group of people that like throughout my life, I have met them and they were just like amazing friends, colleagues, mentors. And so I like when I quit my job, I realized I'd lost all of my community. And so I was like, I need something. I need... <laughs> something so anyway i created a group of people that are like my favorite people in the world I love it. I love it. all coming together and i'm really enjoying like introducing them to each other because mm -hmm. they're all from like different phases of my life so i would say like if anyone is interested in being a part of that reach out to me it's like 100 free it's just it's just us like showing up as humans um i have a monthly first friday call with them um and we just show up and we are there for each other we share challenges that we've been having we share successes that we've been having and we help each other just kind of like live through this crazy thing called life i guess is there any so two things on that great great uh way to so is there anything other than being a woman and a human and interested <laughs> that would help them know that this is the group for them? Is there any thematic thing or is it literally yeah. just women, human interested? It's, and I would say it's um, probably, I'm, I'm going to open it up to allies as well. So like, it doesn't even, cause like really, really like the gender spectrum. <laughs> anyway, um, we're all human, but um, specifically with, specifically with these, these people that like we've experienced um some women uh like focused behaviors in the workplace it, together so like that's why I formed it as women to begin with but it's like to sum it up it's a space where we can show up and be human show up in whatever like mm -hmm. show up as yourself if like okay I had someone say like for the first time I didn't wear makeup or whatever and and I was just like to a work meeting that they had. And I was just like, that's the, that's like the environment that I encourage. Like, mm -hmm. if you don't want to wear makeup, don't wear makeup. If you don't want to get, put a dressy shirt on, don't put a dress, like something as simple as that. 
just mm-hmm. providing it's it's like practice okay like it's practice for me to practice my skills but it's also practice for other people to like to talk about what's on their mind because that is definitely something that we need to be practicing to actually like open up um and to share those things and realize we have these common experiences but also to like show up for each other so like i've run groups where people were people are like uh i have this really big interview coming up can we do a mock interview? And like, so I got people together to help her with that. Mm-hmm. And so what, just whatever's going on and they're, they're, we're just there to support each other with whatever we want to accomplish and then whatever we're going through. So if there is a human woman that's interested yeah, in listening, anybody, how, how would they people, get, how would they find you to get in touch with um, you? Just LinkedIn. LinkedIn is good. <laughs> I don't okay. have anything else right now. And it's Danielle and then it's F-A-R-R-E-L-L, right? Yes, You've yeah. had more practice at doing that. That's awesome. Uh, any any final word to those listening? I know you got to bounce, so I'll let you go here, but give you a moment to any final word. I think just like lots of love to everybody. Do what lights you up. Look for those little instances where like you feel excited and you find joy and really focus on those. And that's what life is about. (laughs) Well, I have always the, you know, it's only been a few times you and I have had a chance to really connect like this, but I am so grateful every time I get a chance to connect with you. And I'm really glad, you know, I know that you're managing your time to do what lights your feeds your soul and lights your fire. And I just want you to know um, for me, uh, this has definitely been that. Um, and, and I'm just so grateful for this time with you and I look forward to doing it again. Um, but thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom and thank you for your work. Oh, thanks, John. So good to talk to you. You too. Bye.